Good morning. Good morning, Bethany North. It's great to see you here this morning. I'll ask you to take your seats. Welcome. Welcome to our service of worship. Welcome to fall. Welcome to our kickoff today. We're, we're really glad to have you here. If you're new or visiting, I'm Ruth Seidel. I'm the associate pastor here at North. And I get to kick off our fall sermon series that we do annually just to remind us about our core values here at Bethany North. And we're going to say them together. Gather, grow. I want to hear that a little more enthusiastically. Gather, grow, go. And I'm actually focusing in on that second one today, the middle one, the value of grow. And I'm wearing black because I also think it's mission possible. Mission possible for us to grow. In fact, it's God's very plan for and purpose for our lives. He wants us all in Christ to become mature, fully alive people, enjoying intimacy with God forever. And our passage this morning, we're reading from Philippians chapter 2. You're welcome to read along or read on the screen. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Let's pray as we start. Father, I'm so grateful that we get to gather in your name. I'm grateful that it's by your spirit we are changed. I'm grateful that we have this community to live out our faith with. Father, would your spirit enliven our hearts, open our ears, Father, and help us to see the places you want to touch today, that you want to grow into greater life, more restoration. May we be available truly to you, your spirit today in Christ's name. Amen. Well, five years ago, right about now, I got to be on the trip kind of of a lifetime. It, was, it turned out to be my dad's last trip, but we didn't know that at the time. Uh, and it was his dream and desire to go to the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, Russia. So my mom and dad, my daughter and I got to go on this trip. And I had never imagined that I would get to stand in front of a painting that has meant so much to me. Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal. I got to have a few minutes. There's crushing crowds in that, in that uh, museum. But for whatever reason, I was able to have a few minutes just basking in the glory of that original piece of art. The Rembrandt room at the Hermitage is enormous. And while we were there, I got to hear the story of another painting there that was truly amazing. This painting in 1985, someone had come in and attacked it. They slashed it with a knife and they threw sulfuric acid on it. So you can imagine that the Rembrandt was destroyed, was just a mess and a mass of brown spots. And um, of course, they were devastated at the loss. But a team of experts who had studied Rembrandt, inch by inch, or actually Russian, centimeter by centimeter, 
went over that canvas and restored it, microscopically working to restore that priceless piece of work. And when I read in, a, in, in Philippians, Paul's called us to join God's work. For me, that's the illustration. God is doing the priceless work of restoring his masterpiece, creation. God is restoring not only all of creation, but today specifically we're going to focus in on God's recreation of us, his image bearers, because the image of God in humankind has been disfigured. It has been marred and slashed. And yet God is determined in his time with our participation to do this delicate and risky work of restoring what he originally planned and the beauty he planned. The Amplified Version of Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, his own master work, a work of art. We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And Peter tells us there's a process involved in 2 Peter 3.18 when he says that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't just accept the grace, we grow in it. So our big idea this morning is that God is calling us to grow into the likeness of Jesus. And this happens through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit by practicing the disciplines Jesus modeled and taught in the company of other disciples. As we come to fall, I think it's important to start off and say, do you feel like growing? Do you feel the need to grow? How do we grow in grace? I'm wondering as you come to this service today, how is it with your soul? When I go in for a health check with a doctor, he usually takes blood pressure, weight, pulse, and those are kind of indicators of my sort of general physical health. And so I'm going to take a little measurement of my own from you today. It's probably not the be-all, end-all in spiritual health. But I'm going to ask you three questions. I want you to have pens today, pens and paper if you can manage that. I'd love to have you come to church on Sunday ready to participate. Um, But I'm going to ask you three questions, and I want you to rate yourself on a scale of one to ten. One means... This is never or rarely true. And 10 is, it's always or most of the time true in your life. Here are the three three, um, measures. One, I'm deeply connected to God and feel renewed day by day to live abundantly. I'm deeply connected to God and feel renewed day by day to live abundantly. How would you rate your spiritual health? Two, I experience joy, peace, energy, and power from God. Rarely, never, occasionally, all the time. Three, I see and others report my growth year to year in character, in freedom, in healthy patterns of life and useful service to others. Three measures three just little tiny indicators of your spiritual health rating. 
And the reason I use these is because these are describing a way of life God intends us to live. That's, that's the description of, of the life God wants you to be living. It's called eternal life, and it starts now. Yes, it goes forever, but eternal life is more about being connected to the creator and sustainer of life, living in a community of loving persons together, living this abundant, energized life with purpose. That's the masterpiece God wants to create in your life. So we start with, how is your soul today? It's important to kind of get an accurate picture of health, but the next question I want to ask is, so how do you grow? Whose work is it for you to get healthy? Is it God's work, or is it your work? Is it God's work, or is it your work for you to grow? I'm going to ask you to make a couple of columns. God's work, split down the middle. God's work, my work. And we're going to do a little Bible study together. We're going to read some scripture together. And I want you to look for the places, the verbs, where, G, where God says, this is what I'm going to do in your life, the promises of God's work in our life, and then the verses that say, and here's some stuff for you to do. So let's read these together, starting with Ephesians 4. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, and instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So, God's work. Let the Spirit renew. What, and you can help me here. What are, what's, what are the ones that are about our work? throw off, put on, okay, some actions for us to take. Okay, let's go on, 2 Corinthians 3. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This describes God's work as us being transformed comes from the Lord, something that God promises to do. 1 Timothy 4, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Our work is to train. 2 Corinthians 4, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. God promises we are being renewed. 1 Timothy 4. Put these things into practice. Devote yourself to them so that, you may, so that all may see your progress. Our work is to put them into practice. Devote yourself. And finally, our verses from this morning in Philippians. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Again, a verse that kind of describes both work, right? What our work is to continue to work it out. God's work is to work in us his will and the, and the working out of his good purposes. Whenever we talk about our part or stuff that we're supposed to do, um, we have to just immediately say we're not talking about working for our salvation. We're talking about working out our salvation. It's kind of like a new RN 
becomes a nurse, right? A lawyer practices law. He becomes more and more a lawyer. A father is a father at conception or birth of a child, but they work out what fatherhood means, right, as they feed and care for and protect and guide a child. And we, as, as Christians, work out and live into who we were created to be. Accepting Jesus is kind of like joining that restoration team uh, at the museum. We've joined the team, but now there's work to do. And we get to work because God is at work and we are like apprentices to him. Imagine the confidence of that team in Russia as they're gathering over this priceless canvas of a Rembrandt that's been ruined. Imagine if Rembrandt walked into the room. Imagine if Rembrandt was available to restore that canvas, the canvas he painted. Imagine what it would be like, the confidence they would have as they moved into that work to know that the creator of that canvas was part of recreating that canvas. Because that is what God does with us. He intimately knows who you were made to be, and he knows the specific damage in your life. He has the skill to recreate a whole and healthy and vibrant you. The second thing we're going to talk about is our part of that, that work, how we get involved in the work. And I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of my Christian life trying really hard. Like you hear a sermon, be patient. You go out that week and you try really hard to be patient. Then you hear a sermon about Bible study, you try really hard to do more Bible study. And here's what I know about, if you try really, really, really hard, you'll get tired you won't get transformed necessarily. That's been my experience is when I try really, really hard in a moment, my will goes a little ways towards changing things, but I actually can't transform in the, in the difficult moments of life. I don't suddenly become patient or kind or forgiving. We are transformed truly by the grace of God, but we have work to do, and the good news is that we don't have to try, we have to train. There's training to be had. Rembrandt, it turns out, at the age of 14, was apprenticed to some of the master painters of his time. He produced over 3,000 pieces of work in his time. There's a sense in which Rembrandt had to become Rembrandt. He put himself in a posture of humility, learning from the masters, practicing the skills of painting, and training his body as a painter. Now, I could dress up like Rembrandt and use the kind of paint and colors he did and try to speak Dutch, but that would not help me paint like Rembrandt. So why do I think that I'm going to be able to live and love like Jesus did when I do none of the things that Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, try harder. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me into a way of life. It's such good news for those of us who are tired, tired of not being better, tired of failure, tired of the inability to change. His disciples lived 
with Jesus, and after Jesus was gone, his disciples lived like Jesus. And over many, many years, they were transformed as they continued to live Jesus' way of life. So what are the disciplines? What are the ways of life that Jesus practiced? Well, we know he observed Sabbath and solitude and a rhythm of healthy rest and prayer. We know that Jesus regularly practiced the disciplines of community, of celebrating with his community, of worshiping with his community. We know that Jesus boundaried his life with disciplines like simplicity and fasting and study, of submission and of service. And his disciples, through every century, not just the first century, but the fifth century and the 14th century and the 19th century, all found it necessary to train as part of their transformation. I sort of get it. We are definitely the generation that has abandoned legalism, right? We don't give merit badges anymore for um, having perfect attendance. But the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people, Richard Foster says. And on this subject of growth, the two people who I think are masters, who I listen to and read and study, are Richard Foster, his 40-year-old book, Celebration of Discipline, and Dallas Willard, Renovation of the Heart, and the spirit of the disciplines. These are three books I would encourage any of you to get, and in fact, after this service, I am willing to loan them out. Dallas Willard writes in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. When we accept the long, slow work of God training us in godliness, we don't despair that we can't yet paint like Rembrandt and we can't yet live always like Christ. We're in training, not just trying harder and harder and harder. Richard Foster writes about this process of putting ourselves under the disciplines, and he says they are, in fact, God's means of grace. They enable us to bring our little individualized power pack, what we call the human body, and place it before God, as Paul put it in Romans 12.1. And having done that, he says, the disciplines have reached the end of their tether. That's all the disciplines do is they bring us before God. God then steps into our small offering and produces in us graces and virtues we could hardly imagine. Spiritual disciplines are the means God uses to build in us an inner person that is characterized by peace, joy, and freedom. They place us body, mind, and spirit before God. That is it. The results of this process are all of God, all of grace. God doesn't give us merit badges for how often we show up in these ways, but God is building new habits, what we now know about neural pathways that 
what we do with our bodies. We can actually build new neural pathways, and God delights to fill those neural pathways with his grace poured out. God created us to be whole, W-H-O-L-E, and holy, H-O-L-Y, and God knows how to restore. I think of the physical things that we do. I think of my mom, who I don't think she can do this at 91 anymore, but for 70 years uh, at least, she would get on her knees every night and pray beside her bed. Her body was actually participating in God's grace changing her. She didn't get a merit badge or a a check for doing that, but her body was offered to God. I'm sure there were nights she hated doing it on a cold linoleum floor. I'm sure there were nights when it was painful. And I'm sure there were nights that was glorious and it brought peace and joy. But before you commit to a plan of training, there's another essential ingredient. Actually, before, we, before I say that, I, wanted, I was thinking about families and roommates and people who live together who choose to eat a meal together or, or regularly go on vacation. That's the kind of structure. It doesn't mean your family is going to become functional or <laughs> joyful. I mean, lots of dinner tables are full of arguments and not, not all, it doesn't always seem like the best use of your time. But truly, that practice we know of families who meet around a table regularly, it's a structure where family can show up, where roommates can get connected. So let's think of the disciplines in that way. The final ingredient, though, in growing in God's grace is the community of God's grace. God's choice through all of time has been to incarnate or to enflesh his love and his glory and his justice and his truth. He did it first meeting Abraham. Through him, creating a family and the nation of Israel. And, and they never really lived out God's plan, right? God's plan was bless this group, and they will bring it and bless the world. That was the plan, but it never really, they kind of hung on to it and kept it to themselves and thought they were better than. So Jesus came, and Jesus enfleshed God and showed us this is what a fully alive human being looks like. Jesus Christ showed us that. And then God is is again trying to create a family, create another group of people who will, through that experience, bless the world. Excuse me. I've experienced this at all the really important crossroads of my life and my faith. It It was a person and people who invited me to walk towards Jesus with them. It was a person and people who have heard my confessions of failure and brokenness through the years and offered me grace rather than shame. It's been people who prayed for me and encouraged me and inspired me to continue in my faith at times I wanted to despair and quit. I will say that your faith will never mature and you will never know God intimately without a community of faith. Paul wrote that it's in speaking the truth in love that we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And those are two vital ingredients I always talked about when we're training group leaders here at Bethany North, the presence of truth and the presence of grace. 
if, if you are struggling with math, any of you guys here in the front row, it's really fun having the front row full, by the way. Any of you struggling with math? No? You're all doing okay? Good? <laughs> uh, you can be honest. We're not going to shame you. No. <laughs> if your child is struggling with math, it's great if you love and accept them, but it's even more important that you help them understand math. Love alone is not enough. Love and truth need to be brought together. So as, I want you to evaluate now. Those Many of you are in groups of different kinds, and I want you to just answer these three questions. Is your group engaged with truth? So some of our groups study the Bible, some of them study the sermon, some of them study books. There's lots of sources of truth. Is your, is your group engaged with truth in some form, including truth from each other? Truth in words of affirmation that people need to hear. Truth in words of correction that people need to hear. And by the way, that takes a lot of trust in relationship. That isn't something I actually want from strangers on the internet. <laughs> correction is, is a pretty personal part of offering truth to each other. And then truth from ourselves, truthful words, truthful authenticity of showing up how we actually are in our groups. Is your group engaged in truth? And then is your group engaged in love? Because love is what opens our hearts to healing. Most of our hurts, deep hurts in life, come through relationships. But God has designed us to also be healed through healthy relationships where our pain and our hurt is seen and held and honored by others. But our groups are not just so that we can all flourish and bear the image of God better because the recovery of the image of God in us will inevitably result in us bearing God's heart for the rest of creation. So the third question is, is your group engaged in the spiritual discipline of serving together? Fellowship is not a cup of coffee. Fellowship is getting into the trenches with each other and working for God's will. God's will in your life and God's will in God's world. Loving not only your own children well, but all the children in the community. Washing feet and dishes and clothes and welcoming strangers. Celebrating and lamenting together with others. Not just our own little groups, but having eyes open to where God is at work. Last Sunday, I was talking to a team. There's a team at North who are supporting a family of refugees who are rebuilding their lives here in Shoreline. And this team were talking about how often they text each other and how they're getting to know each other so quickly. They said they were amazed as they've served together how quickly they've become connected and close. We are changed by the grace of God through training, not trying, in community with others. We are God's workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, some of you aren't in groups. Some of you have been hurt by a group in the past. Me too. Some of you have been in really boring groups. Me too. Some of you have been in groups where people, somebody talks too much. Me too. And if you haven't been one, it's you in your group. <laughs> 
You've been in groups where people drop emotional bombs. You've been in groups where leaders are not great facilitators. Me too. And sometimes I've even grown the most in groups that were kind of lumpy like that. My husband and I are so glad that John and Annie DeWall persevered when they started a group here at North and it bombed. We were part of that. And then the next year, they tried again. We're so glad they tried again, and I'm going to let you hear a little bit of their story. Awkward. Awkward is the precursor to something holy. And I love, I love that Annie says, we were worried about whether people would be a good fit. And John says, we were worried about freak shows. <laughs> we're authentic in that group. Belonging to a community of faith is messy and imperfect and sometimes scary, and we'd encourage you to take a risk this morning. I want you to take our time as we sing today to, to consider how your soul is as you come today and what might be the next step for you, what might be the training that God is calling, that your heart is longing for as you come to fall. But before we do that, I'm going to ask group leaders, all of you who are group leaders, if you're not sure, I'm a co-leader, I'm a sub-leader, all of you, please come up. We're going to uh, commission the group leaders. So if you're here, this isn't, you don't have to have been part of the fair. Please come up this morning so I can commission and pray for you. I'm so delighted with how many people we have in small groups at North and so many different experiences going on. Um, Today we are having a group fair, groups that have space for new folks and some new group, groups that are forming are out in the foyer today, you can sign up. There'll be opportunities during the year for shorter groups like 4 and 40 groups at Lent. There'll be time for retreats and all different ways that you can get involved in serving. But these folks have graciously offered hospitality to the rest of us. They've offered hospitality uh, for a place for us of safety and a place to explore faith. Whether you're just exploring faith and not even sure where you are in terms of your walk with God, we invite people at any stage of faith. And I'm just, I'm just um, so grateful for this group of people who, uh, who have given this gift to all of us. So this morning, I have a charge for you as leaders from 1 Peter 5. Be shepherds of God's flock under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I'd like to pray for you. Awesome God, we thank you for giving us a community where we are loved and encouraged and accompanied and prodded to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Thank you for these leaders called this year to serve by caring for others. May each of us at Bethany North look for ways to love, encourage, accompany, and respectfully prod these leaders along the path of life with you. We desire to see Jesus formed more and more in each of us this year and to experience the abundant life that we were created for so that our world is changed by the love and life we share. 
In Christ we pray. Amen.